0: If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program starting this June. I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Ashley Munoz-Lopez. Ashley has worked as an SLP for a decade where she has experience working with both children and adults in various pathways of practice and has experience with direct patient care, project management, service line development, and leadership. She has had substantial working experience with patients with acquired brain injury, respiratory compromise, and iatrogenic dysphagia. Ashley has been published in the ASHA Leader and Aerodigestive Health, as well as the perspectives of the ASHA special interest groups. Ashley received the Distinguished Early Career Professional Certificate in 2018 and graduated from ASHA's Leadership Development Program in 2019. She's a current member of the Hispanic Caucus for ASHA and a previous board member. She's been a guest speaker for several universities and presented at the local, state, and national levels, including multidisciplinary presentations with nursing organizations. In 2020, Ashley began her four-year term as a site visitor for the Council on Academic Accreditation, CAA. Ashley provided dedicated service to Ash's Special Interest Group 13 as a professional development member from 2021 to 2023 and the CE Content Manager. Outside of her duties in the clinical realm, Ashley serves to empower diverse members of the healthcare workforce as the 2022 co-chair and 2023 chair for the Hispanic Latinx Alliance for the Houston Methodist System. She currently serves as an adjunct lecturer for the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, a Hispanic serving institution. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the Metaslp Collective and Metaslp Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together, we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hi, Ashley. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Teresa. Yeah. So tell the people a little
1: bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So my name's Ashley Lopez. Been in healthcare for about 11 years now. Um, been working majority of my time in acute care, but have delved into sniff and, um, outpatient care. I am a speech language pathologist through and through. That is my heart but i have found you know interests and expanded my um reach in the medical field to other aspects and look i'm really interested in continuing my career
0: in leadership awesome i love that so recently so what what struck up this whole conversation was ashley just got nominated for an award which i would love for you to talk about in a second ashley and and it's really just sort of what i've been thinking about too is how we've got to get outside the slp box and you know, we've got to just integrate ourselves more in the healthcare ecosystem as opposed to just working in the silos that, that we've created for ourselves. So if you can talk about the award you received, Ashley.
1: So we got an award for team quality and
0: safety from our system,
1: um, hospital system. We were uh, chosen out of 2,000 applications, which is an annual application process to be recognized from the system. Um, We follow several values within our hospital system, and one of them is innovation. And so that's what they're really fostering. And our team was selected um, for our efforts in wound care prevention in the ICU. Um, it was kind of a trifold of things. We used best case practices. We also used research. And then we incorporated our EMR to kind of bundle it all and make sure we were documenting it and doing what we were saying we were doing. Um, so it was an effort between nursing, IT, rehab, and the vendor for a device that we were using to track when position changes were done and or not done and if they were done to the de- correct degree to offload a patient prevent pressure sores and so a lot of people are like well, what what does speech therapy have to do with that um how do you, how does speech therapy prevent wounds in ICU And so that's where I came in and that's when I really educated the team and said, Hey, we do have a seat at the table. We can also promote healing and prevention of, I tried, of concomitant issues. And so with speech therapy, we tend to operate very strict, strictly in the ICU. And I tend to be a little bit more liberal, but what really we had to focus on was how long were we keeping the patient's MPO? in ICU, was that contributing to tissue degeneration and malnutrition? Were we working with the dietitians to um, increase protein intake as much as possible or provide supplements? Were we getting the tube feedings, whether it be the Dobhoff tubes or the PEG tubes, out as fast as possible so that the patients could lay flat? What we don't realize is that when we have a PEG tube or a tube in, they cannot, they, I guess, best case practices is that they don't go below 30 degrees. Well, 30 degrees puts pressure on the coccyx and the sacrum. And so we're, we're creating a pressure zone that's consistent. So if we can allow the patient to eat and normally by mouth, we don't have the tubes, um, then they can lay flat and they can also log roll and things of that sort. What we also looked into was a lot of times we default to saying we need to eat at ninety degrees and all be all. What we know is that that can also be affecting on current wounds or sacral flaps um, for people who have had a long term pressure injury that's been surgically fixed. Um, ninety degrees can also actually be really bad for them. So using the fees earlier rather than later to see, can this patient eat at a sideline air in the ICU? Can the patients eat at a much lower um, head of bed um, safely? And so we were doing those things sooner, faster, earlier intervention, right? I am a huge proponent of earlier intervention ICU. We see um, physical therapy say the more time we spend in the bed, the more muscle wasting. Well, the more time we spend at MPO, the more muscle wasting we're having of our fine motor muscles. So, getting them eating whatever they can sooner rather than later. Kind of using the MDTP philosophy and theories where you know we we do what's safe um, to kind of help progress what is not. Um, So we're by no means following the protocol in ICU, but we're definitely incorporating those thought processes. And that's really where I think we move from critical thinking to um, multidisciplinary strategy.
0: Like this is the most like global view of like really, truly our value and what we can provide to facilities. And I think, you know, the first time I talked to you, we had this conversation and you just said, you know, I realized that sort of SLPs were were contributing to the wound care process, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And and you blew me away when you said that because we don't think of those things. We think we're, you know, we're all about safe swallowing and preventing aspiration pneumonia, and so we, you know, put patients on thickened liquids or we keep them NPO, you know, things like that. But we don't realize by doing that that we're compounding a, a whole different problem, and and so. You know, I'd, I'd love to sort of hear if you can talk about what really, like, triggered in your brain, like, this is something that we we need to look into more.
1: I spent a majority of my career at a long-term acute care hospital where a lot of the patients come to us with existing wounds. And so one of the major aspects of rehabilitation is can we take care of that wound? And we have dedicated wound ostomy nurses. We have dedicated physical therapists who do wound care. Um, and then we have dietitians who also specialize in kind of getting those macronutrients so that they can heal. But again, that I always think of, well, we can also be at the table. We can also provide a service and or modify our service to help that patient improve. Um, and so in ICU, uh, more often than not, patients are MPO and we're kind of the gatekeepers to that. And I I I value and appreciate a therapist who does their due diligence, but we also have to be mindful of our work strategy and how that affects the pathway of care for this particular patient. Every patient is different. When I really started to attend ICU rounds and like this patient has a stage two that's progressed to a stage three and all of these wound care questions and how it really drove a lot of the care, I started to think, well, what am I doing to help this? Because this is such a big problem for this patient. And this is a life-threatening problem for this patient. They could get septic. They could get an infection, Uh, you know, that goes into the bloodstream. And, you know, this is what causes their ultimate end of life. And so if something of as simple as a wound that we can intervene with, I wanted to do that. So I did ask questions to my dietitian. I asked questions on the physical therapist. And I had a really good physical therapist um, who would talk to me and say, well, you're always making them sit in at this degree, and I want to know why. And so when I told her why, and she she accepted the information, she was excited and, and thankful for it. Then she said, I said, why do you want to know, right? So I turned it back on her and asked her why. And she said, well, because you're killing my womb, actually. Um, and so when I had that conversation, I was like, whoa, yeah. I have bigger fingerprint on this patient's care than I really had thought. It gave me a kind of an aha moment of what I do as a professional. And when I think of just following, I'm actually affecting nine other systems in this patient's care. And so really started going on this early intervention of how can we do things faster? How can we modify it? And that's really where I thought it, okay, I can use critical thinking all day and I can stay in my silo and I can get the patient to point B from point A. And I that would do my job and I'd be great um, and I'd be happy and, and patient would be happy. But could I get the patient to C or D by just modifying what I was doing? Um And so I started strategizing with the other disciplines. I didn't really round or or say, can I get clearance to see this patient? I really started asking the questions of, if you're going to sit this patient, can I do this? And if you're going to give them this nutrient, can we try it by mouth? Strategizing of, okay, if if we're going to work on, swallowing with the patient and I want them sitting at 90 degrees for doing that, can we do that concomitantly with your physical therapy so we don't have the patient sitting at 90 degrees for an extended period of time? You know, can we turn 60 minutes of sitting at 90 degrees to 45, right? Even that 15-minute decrease is an exponential benefit to the patient. So, I may start the session and be in the pa- room with the patient for 30 minutes, and then the physical therapist comes in at the last 15 minutes to sit at the edge of bed, test their balance, and kind of kind of get them mobilizing. So those are the, the thought processes I started thinking about of where can I not necessarily collaborate with the patient, but with a, a therapist, I think that's a very minimal. Thought process. Like, of course, we want to collaborate, but can we really strategize together to help this patient move farther and faster while we see them?
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's such a great point is like, how can we work with these other professionals instead of sort of against them? You know, it's it's almost like I love that you're almost riding the wave with them as opposed to just putting up a wall and saying, no, this is the way it is. Like I just think in so many other facilities you know it's like even nursing will want to give a patient miralax but it's like well the patient's on thick and liquids they can't have miralax and instead of just saying okay well the patient can't have this because slp you know recommended this what can we do to you know maybe we can work together maybe there is a different alternative and i think this just this just shows you know really how powerful our profession is and and really we do have these higher level critical thinking skills that we can work together and we do have a seat at the table and i think you know, what, what do you think, Ashley? Do you think now that should there be an SLP on wound care teams?
1: I think it's a vital, a vital point, right? As long as we have the appropriate kind of uh, education to say like, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how we progress, right? Um, I think a speech therapist would be a vital member to the team, but they need to be able to stretch, right? Yeah. We can't. Re- our silos. So you may have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with saying, uh, oh, I don't know if if this is okay to sit at 45 degrees and be willing to do that fees at 45 degrees or be willing to do that modified at 45 degrees because we don't know until we assess. Um so we can't rule out anything. And and just like you said with the mirror lax, well why can't we do a fees with a mirror? Let's see what it looks like, right? We never know. And and can we try a strategy with that mirror? Just so that patient can be comfortable, right? And they and they're comfortable, then they're more agreeable to their therapies. So again, that's another roadblock that we could potentially be putting in this patient's pathway to rebuilding their lives.
0: Yeah, i I, I to be honest, when you said that you've done fees sidelining, I just think you know I did that with my son. But thinking of you know when he was itty bitty baby, but thinking of doing that with an as with an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so. That's so cool, but it's so creative and innovative. And and how is that, you know, if if that's what we have to do at this point to get this patient the adequate nutrition to help heal their wounds, that is our critical role on that team, right?
1: Absolutely. And when we think about the importance of food, right? I'm I'm somebody who thinks holistically where it's like patients feel just genuinely better when they're putting food in their mouth. They feel like they're actually doing something. To help their own bodies heal. It is a, it's innate. It's, it's natural to us and we're very connected as human beings to nourishment and food, especially something that is personal to them, a personal dish, a cultural dish where they feel like I am being nourished appropriately, the right, the, I'm, there's a book that I've read. It's called The Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and it talks about how the human body and human spirit can get through anything as long as they are mentally like willing to do it. And once they have hit that block where they're no longer willing to do it, that may be where they can reach their ultimate demise. Um, and it follows this man's kind of continuous endeavor to make it through his peril. And he does. And he sees other people that he's known along the way kind of give up um and, and kind of reach their demise. And so that's what I think about. It's like if I'm taking away something that is so important to this patient, am I gonna give a tribute to them giving up? And and that's obviously as in the heart of us as caregivers, we want them to keep going. And we can tell them, you can do it, you can do it, but we ultimately have to give them every tool for themselves to decide that they do want to do it. And I think all of us as caregivers, we see the difference in a patient who is willing and ready to move through the hardest time of their lives to a patient who's just passive and going through the motions. You see a big difference in their recovery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love this so much, Ashley. I think, you know, so much of what drives me to do what I do and share all the information is just how can we, make this a less grueling experience for patients. You know, what they're going through right now is just so devastating and life-changing. And how can we have, not that what we can do have a positive impact, but but what can we do to sort of lessen the burden and, and make it not so absolutely miserable? And I think a lot of times we end up fighting with the patient instead of helping them get through this, you know, as unscathed as humanly possible. And yeah, I'm just, I'm curious. Did you, did you look at any like research of SLPs on wound care teams? Like, I don't know of any. I'm curious if you were able to find anything or yeah. Absolutely not. I have yeah. not found <laughs> yeah. any wound care. Team.
1: Um, I've definitely read some things on right dietitian and wound cares found out about different um, products that they use, um, and that they recommend that can be given orally and that can be given through a feeding tube and I had a vendor come and speak to the rehab team and I asked and they they did demonstrations and we thickened it and it it tasted wonderful. And she was like, well, you can even, if you need carbonation, you can add carbonation to it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is, you know, how can we give this patient the opportunity to nourish their body, give them the appropriate macronutrients to heal this wound is amazing. Um, one of the things I learned about, or one of the products that is highly used in wound care, um, recovery is a product called Juven. Um, so it's a powdered substance that you mix, um, and it comes in different flavors. There's like a tangy orange and a fruit punch and a non-flavored one, and we talked about how juven is administered and so it's administered orally or through feeding tubes um, and so when I started seeing this product and I started hearing about this product in rounds when the physicians were saying we need juven two times a day and we also need to add X amount of pro- grams of protein for this wound care patient I started thinking okay well you know that's different I started talking to the to the dietitians and saying like okay is this better absorbed? orally, or is this better absorbed through the tube? And and obviously, the answer is it's better absorbed orally than with the tube because it allows more time to go through the system and heal. And so, well, let's try Juven in our fees. Let's encourage them to at least, if they're going to do, you know, thin liquid trials, why don't we do thin liquid trials of Juven, right? Why can't we incorporate this product in our therapy? It's a product. It's still something that they're drinking. So let's, let's do that. Right. So that was another part of how I strategized with dietitians was, cause then they would say, I need you to measure how much ounces did they drink in your session? Not, they didn't care if it was 20, 25 sips or, you know, they wanted to know this patient consumed three ounces of juvenile. Okay. So we have to administer the other three ounces through the peg tube to get to their six ounces for the day or for that particular serving. So those are, I was like, okay, I can do that. And so um just like we do, like, well, if they have to take a, a giant pill that they're having problems on, so let's do a fee with that giant pill, right? So it's, it's kind of using that same thought process. So using jubin in therapies helped promote that the patient drink it, um, helped, we also did kind of sequencing, okay, like, we you need to get X amount of ounces. You got to mix it. So tell me the procedure. So it really worked with, you know, patients who were struggling with word finding so they could tell us the sequence or so there was patients who were struggling with um, cognition and sequencing, right? So how do you just incorporate something that's a functional activity to this patient so that they're more willing and able to continue this this care outside of your session, so those are the things we really had to think about. And I didn't know of any of these things, or I didn't, and until I asked, until I had a team member who was willing to communicate and really educate me and empower me to make my session as robust robust as possible. Yeah. Um. And in turn, it helped everybody. Right. The dietitian got her supplements administered. The physical therapist got pressure offloading. And so wound care is something that, you know, we tend to say, well, you know, that doesn't involve us. That's the nurses. That's the physical therapist. That's the plastic surgeons, but it definitely, it involves us because we, we have a, a concentric circles in, in healthcare. And we're definitely one of those circles that overlaps other disciplines. So I would challenge other therapists who are out there practicing in their pathways of rehab and say, like, what am I doing that's not necessarily hindering progress, but what am I doing that is not enriching the process of rehab? How can I modify my plan of care or my therapy tactics or tasks to help incorporate other aspects of their rehab journey um, so that the patient can ultimately get home and get back to as normal as possible and meet their goals.
0: I just think of so many like length of stay concerns, you know, it's like this patient is, has an increased length of stay because they have wounds because they're on a feeding tube, you know, and it's like, how can we stop the madness? How can we, you know, be part of the solution instead of sort of perpetuating the problem? So I I love this so much, Ashley. Let me ask you a question. If you, if you were some SLP, like I, I'm i literally picturing Teresa 13 years ago in the sniff that I worked in and we had an incredible wound care team. We were, um, we were known for our wound care in, in a, a pretty big metropolitan area. Um, and I think of, you know, I think of the NP that worked on, on the wounds. I think of the PT, I think of the team that came around. The dietitian was on the wound care team. I think of them that came around every Tuesday. I never, never would have thought that I could insert myself and have a role on that team. How would you advise an SLP to maybe propose that they have a seat at that table? Or how, if if an SLP is really, you know, inspired by this conversation, how would you have them go about, yeah, advocating to, to be on that team?
1: That is a great question. I think everybody kind of has to go at it a little bit differently, depending on their comfort style and their learning style. I will say the way that I did it is I just, I paid attention. I asked a lot of questions. And then I made connections with key stakeholders in that team. And I asked why. And in turn, they asked me why. And we learned from each other. And with that kind of mutual learning, we found mutual respect and trust. And once you establish that trust on that team, that's when you can really branch out and grow and really find innovative things to do. So I would say... You know, attend those rounds and when they start talking about stage three, stage four, tunneling, maceration, all of those crazy vocabulary words that kind of go over a speech therapist's head, listen and say, and, 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 and ask those questions of how did this develop? Where does this go? If we have a stage four, where does it go from there? And, and learn about wound care. There are great, I, I attended some, Free dietitian CEUs that were virtual. I read some articles on wound care just to kind of get first on the vocabulary because it is a whole nother world of vocabulary to understand the wounds. I took it a step further and I started looking at the wound care notes and looking at the wounds, which you've got to have a stomach for because they, they can be overwhelming when you see them. And then, you know, sometimes as healthcare workers, we become a little jaded and our, our lunch conversations tend to be of like, well, what happened? Like, what did you do with this wound? And, and kind of go from there. I'm, I'm kind of really concentrating on sacral wounds, but you also have to think about the abdominal wounds and surgical wounds too that happen from transplants or happen from trauma right there's wounds that have to heal too and learning about those different sutures and all of that and and what what happens to them and how there's their staples and then they remove them and you know all of those things there's lots of different wounds are surgical and then also pressure but you know for this conversation really focusing on the pressure wounds but i just kind of i i dared to learn a little bit of what I didn't know, and so I would say, be curious, be respectful, and be in- inquisitive, right? And and that's where you kind of start off. I this didn't happen overnight. This probably I was an in L for almost six years. So I said I really didn't kind of hit the ground running and really understood my my imprint on wound care till about year three. Um, so I I would say be humble and know that it will take time, but you can do it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love this so much, Ashley. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Anything else you want to cover? I feel like I'm an odd duck in speech therapy because I, I tend to figure and, and look at things a little differently. So I would say I'm a little unconventional, um, but I think that is why I've been able to practice at a different level and practice differently. So I would encourage those who are, are just entering the field and even those who are tenured and been in the field for 10 plus years to really kind of take a step back and say, where can I go from here? I, I, one of the things that I'm most concerned about in our profession is those who kind of leave the profession, right? And so there's many different reasons on why um, people leave the profession, but I think it's that, you know, one of the hallmark reasons is we lose the passion or we feel like we've learned all that we can learn and we've kind of hit this wall and we've got to move on. I, I don't think that's necessarily it. Um, so just look at what's around you. What are their primary populations that your facility serves and go from there? Um, that's, there's a Pandora's box of knowledge in medical field. And I think. You know, there's the Hippocratic or oath of above all, do no harm. But I also feel like we have to take an oath of above all, don't stop thinking outside the box. Don't stop trying to be innovative. Because if we stopped, you know, in when penicillin was invented and that was the end, right? We never figured out that there were more antibiotics or there were more other drugs out there to cure illnesses. We wouldn't be where we are now. And so speech therapy has to continue. Yes, we found this answer. How do we heal this part of it? But we can't stop there. We've got to continue to innovate. I know there's tons of researchers out there kind of doing the research. But, you know, if you're out in the field, you're on the front lines, it doesn't mean that you can't try something or use critical thinking and pull a piece from, you know, what you learned and move from here and go from there try to pull the puzzle together, strategize with your partners on the team and make the difference.
0: I I love this so much, Ashley. Thank you so much. I think this is just phenomenal. And I would love, I I hope if, if the wound care discussion isn't something that somebody's interested in, I hope this, I hope you are interested in it because I think clearly we have a huge role here, but I hope this sparks listeners to just sort of think outside the box and think where we really can contribute to helping find solutions with our patients instead of perpetuating the problems. That's just something that just keeps coming up because I think, you know, I just even think of a facility I worked at and it's like, okay, well, all these patients are on tube feeding, so we can't do X, Y, and Z with them. And it's, it's like challenge the status quo. You know, why can't we do X, Y, and Z with them? Is there something else we can do with them? Is there a way we can progress them off tube feedings? Is there something supplemental we can do? Um, I just think, I think there's so much more we could be doing and contributing that instead of us being the wall, like let's, let's help contribute to, to getting the patient better faster.
1: Absolutely. And so, if and if, and you know, I don't want to discourage anybody who's like, no, I absolutely feel comfortable with patients sitting at 90 degrees and that's how I practice. I don't want to discourage you. If that is your practice pattern, continue to do so, but think outside the box, like ask your rehab manager or director or your physical therapist, like, can we get specialized cushions, right? So like I can think off the top of my head, the rojo cushion. Like if I you absolutely want your patients to eat at 90 degrees, or maybe that is the only way that they are safe to eat. Can we get a roho cushion? Can they transfer, you know, to the wheelchair in the rojo cushion and go to the cafeteria to eat or go to the dining room to eat or to sit up at edge of bed, right? Can we meet the team halfway? Right? Can they say like, can we, you know, pull for these specialized cushions or can we work in tandem with physical therapy to combine kind of that meal and, and, and therapy so that we're offloading at the same time as positioning? Um, look, making sure that if they're, if the patient has a specialized wheelchair, that it still is appropriately fitted to them. And if not asking your OT or your PT to, Hey, can we get another, you know, measurement? Can we change the cushions and things of that sort? And, and kind of going from there. So thinking outside the box and saying, well, I know this is what I need. So how do I achieve that safely and comfortably and, and with quality for this patient? Then just kind of educate yourself, um, on, on what the teams do, um, for a particular illness or, or diagnosis or ailment. And then that will help you strategize with, with your team members. And that also helps invoke oh, okay, well, we're doing this special project. Would you like to partake in it? And that's exactly what happened to me, right? Like, we're doing this specialized project. Ashley, we've seen how you, you know, modified your practice. Would you like to come on board with us? And of course, I'm always somebody to say, yes, you know, I would love to. And so that's exactly what happened. And then, you know, somebody saw the innovation in our our project, and that's why we got, you know, the award. And was really excited um, to be a speech therapist on a wound care team to get an award. I think that's really unique um, and just the beginning of how we can, as clinicians, as medical professionals, really spread our influence in healthcare.
0: Yeah. yeah, And I just, I want to thank you for posting that on LinkedIn. Cause that's where I first saw it come up and I was like, oh my gosh. So I think all of us that, you know, if you, if you get an award or you get recognized for doing something like this, please share. I know other SLPs love to see this and are just inspired and it's just great to see, you know, the ripple effect of what our field really is, is capable of. So thank you for sharing that. I know sometimes people are like, should I share this? Is it? Yes. Please share it. If someone is hesitating. So thank you, Ashley.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to just explain what I did and how I, I think. And I hope that somebody who's listening will say, Oh my gosh, I have, you know, so many wounds and I'm going to change my practice patterns. And if, even if it's just one person, I'll be elated to know
0: that it really made a difference for somebody. Awesome. If anybody has any questions about wound care um, or anything, are you okay with people reaching out to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions or, and if I don't know the answer, I'm happy to direct you to a professional that knows that answer for sure, or to give you just insight on different, um, wound care products or strategies that you can incorporate in your own therapies. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley. I I love this conversation. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Teresa. Thank you so much for letting me speak with you. And then also thank you so much for having this podcast because I think it is Amazing.
0: Yeah, thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. if you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit SwallowYourPridePodcast.com. There, you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week.